RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 2, Episode 17, Wesley Crusher Memos, November 1986. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, Star Trek background fans, and yes, all you Trekophiles with an F. We have a delightful little document for you this week, as you can see if you're with us there at The Trek Files at Facebook.com. Actually, it's three documents. It's three, three, three documents in one this week. Two from Bob Justman, one from David Gerald, and they're all about one of your favorite subjects, Wesley Crusher. Young Wesley Crusher, the roots of Wesley Crusher. Or is it Leslie Crusher? Well, let's take a listen to one of the documents, and I'll be right back with this week's guest. I have a thought about a possible way to take the onus off his youth and justify his high office on the Enterprise. Suppose that, as a child, Crusher suffered some kind of injury to his brain. Suppose that our advanced medical science replaced the damaged part of his brain with a very small, very powerful computer. Wesley now has superior intelligence available to him. We need not make a big thing out of Crusher's mental prosthesis. We can suggest that brain implants are fairly common. Crusher was already brilliant before the operation. The implant gives him the edge that makes him valuable to the Enterprise. All right, Trekophiles. I, I hope you're ready for this. I hope you really should read through the three documents before we before we get into this. But let's remember, these are all three from early November 1986, very much still in the think tank, the R&D stage of uh, a brainstorming what Next Generation would be when it's a very small circle of Gene Roddenberry, Bob Justman, David Gerald, and uh, short-lived producer Eddie Milkus, who would soon give way to uh, the new kid on the block, Rick Berman, the studio guy. But of all the major tenets of the foundations of what Next Generation would be, Gene Roddenberry really wanted to have this youth character, Wesley Crusher, involved. And... Um, it's amazing to read these memos and see, uh, even as they brainstorm what Wesley could be, even anticipating some of the problems. And here to anticipate some of our reactions to those problems is our good friend John Champion. You know him from Mission Log, Mission Log Live hosting. Um, John, aren't these just um, amazing to read in hindsight? Uh, again, there, there's so much to look at here. And like you said, I, I hope people go back and read them all. Uh, they just span a few days, November 8th, 1986, November 12th, 1986, and November 19th, 1986. So it, within that few days, uh, from Bob Justman to Gene um, twice, and then from David Gerald to Gene to Eddie Milkus and Bob Justman, I, I sort of get the sense, <laughs> because this is the early days, I get the sense that, you know, Gene swooped in after that initial pitch from Paramount saying, here's how we're making Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And Gene said, no, 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 no. Here's how we're making Next Gen. Here's the, the crew breakdown. Here's what the Enterprise is like, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a kid on board. Now go. And now you have these writers and producers who who have to say to themselves, well, okay, uh, we've never had a kid on board the Enterprise before. Uh, The boss wants a kid on the Enterprise. 
how do we make this work? (laughs) And they are going back and forth with every possibility and, like you said, anticipating the problems that will come up by having a kid on board. Nobody here is proposing, uh, let's get rid of the kid. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a yeah. major pillar of Gene's yeah, approach. Yeah, exactly. Here. So, so they, they're all on board with that, that, that they need to stick by what the boss wants. But they're trying to anticipate what will come down the road. Let's actually start at the oldest one, the, the one from Bob Justman to Gene from I was November say, 8th. Can, can, I, can I read this? Yeah, oh, please, the, please. The, the core of this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, this is 1986, but it might as well be... Today, Bob (laughs) Justman says, Wesley has to be three things for our audience. He must be resourceful. He must be brilliant. He must be cool. Mm -hmm. And, um, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that would prove to be problematic. Not that, and again, we're talking about the character. We love Will Wheaton. Yeah. 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 I loved Will Wheaton back in the day. And as the show mm-hmm. unspooled, and we all kind of famously know the whole shut up, Wesley, mm-hmm. you know, the, the bit mm-hmm. about some factions of fandom came to question the very things that, that Bob is raising here in his early memos. Yeah. About and, how did this kid deserve that? But I could always, I was really annoyed at fandom who confused the actor with the character. Oh, no, of course, of course. And I would always yeah. say, don't take it out on the kid, the 16-year-old actor. Take it out on the writers for not knowing what they're doing. And we see the roots of that confusion yeah. right yeah. here. Yeah, and, and given that, okay, even in uh, David's memo, the last one, he says, eh, maybe he should be 18, not 16. <laughs> well, yeah, how do he's we... quoting a memo from Dorothy that we don't, Dorothy Fontana that yeah, we don't have here, yeah, yeah. who's apparently saying the same thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. How, how do you make sure that, that this is a believable, capable character who's, uh, to Bob's point, cool? <laughs> you know, Can we really get that out of a 15-year-old, 16-year-old? That, that, that might be a little bit tough. Also, well, who's in- got to care? It's easy to have a child star. Yeah, uh, be cool, but who's going to carry all this weight? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one other little detail in Bob's first memo here is he says uh, Wesley should be acting lieutenant, not commander. Whoa. So at some point somebody said he should be commander Wesley? What? What? Okay, that just sounds nuts. Um, yeah, and... and Go ahead. Let's look at the, well. Let's yeah. look at this also. So here's Bob in his first memo, and this yeah. is a whole side issue. Now, when I when I did the companion, when I wrote the Next Generation Companion, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Justman, thank God, very <laughs> graciously gave me a four hour interview. I had to do it on about three months uh, notice. Wow. I had a three month deadline, and Bob Justman, as much I, I love him for everything else. On top of that, he saved my ass with that book because. I, it really fleshed out the making of part of the pilot and development of the show at a time when we didn't have access to mm-hmm. as many documents here. He shared his memos with me. One of the fascinating things I got into, even at the time, which you can read in the companion now, is this whole um, he's getting a little nervous about justifying Wesley's position. Yeah. And one of his uh, caveats, one of his pillars for, for justifying Wesley's position is that he had developed – <laughs> oh, yeah, this thing this. called the uh, landing envelope. Yes, to, yes. To, to, to further, as to, it, would, it was going to enlarge the storytelling possibilities beyond class and planets. Mm-hmm. You know, aside from the budgetary, uh, the budgetary stretch they could get away with. Mm-hmm. But he's saying that Wesley's going to develop this landing envelope that would surround each person and furnish breathable air and Earth-like gravity. In other words, so they can get into uh, to not to class in planets, not the backlot planet of the week. They yeah. can really go out there and do some bizarre alien landscapes. For the audience, a ripple of superimposure will indicate. 
I've read this so many years, so many years, so many years, and it was not until prepping this show that I went, that's the animated series force field. It really is. Yeah. That's all that yeah, we've been yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Was, but, you know, that was yeah. kind of a sidebar. But the fact that he yeah. felt like we have to come up with reasons why Wesley has this, yeah. this vaunted position on the ship. And all through this, and woven all through this, we remember today we go, oh, well, his mom, Dr. Crusher, yeah. was the chief medical officer. Yeah. Wesley left the show after four years. <laughs> In the beginning, it was all about Wesley... Yeah, kind of this backstory about his dad was sent on a mission by Picard, Jack. Right. You know, and oh yeah, well that must mean he has a mom. Well, maybe <laughs> she can be the doctor that we see occasionally. Maybe we'll give her a name someday. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We have nothing about Wesley's mom here, other than just she exists and she is on board. She is an intelligent and beautiful woman in her mid thirties. <laughs> all right. So that's all we get about her. But then the the detail about his father is dead. Uh, he he was on an away mission, second in command of a disastrous landing party sent down by Captain Picard during Picard's first tour as a starship captain. So that's solid. That that story detail, mm-hmm. that, that character detail is solid. We'll keep that. But clearly they had not given any thought to the mother at all. And in hindsight... Of course, of course, Dr. Crusher is his uh, mother. And of course, she is a standout, important, critical character to that show. So, uh, but they, they had not thought that far ahead yet. Well, it was so, it was all, now it's not quite as apparent in these three. But if you mm-hmm. notice um, in, in David's, in the November 19th, mm-hmm. the last one, he refers to him as Crusher all. I mean, part of the clue to that is oh, yeah. when they talk yeah. about Crusher this and Crusher that, they're talking about Wesley. They're not, no one's mentioning the mother, right. whatever her name is. Right. Just, just as an FYI, the, some of the paper trail we have about Wesley, you know, there was a time when there was an argument made for Wesley being a teenage girl, not a teenage mm-hmm. boy. Mm-hmm. And Bob Justman argued in other memos that you could have more story. You know, oh, we see teenage boys on TV all the time. What about a teenage girl? Mm-hmm. Presaging Buffy, presaging a lot, you know, the whole the whole um, feminist revolution in sci-fi and mm-hmm. the geek girl revolution and all that, such as it was. But just as a paper trail, the first Bible came out October 26th. Uh, where he was Wesley, yeah. and you see these November, early November memos. By December eighth, they were referring to it and playing. They were toying oh, with the yeah, idea yeah, of having yeah. to be Leslie. Yeah. The casting call that went out uh, December tenth had the character as Leslie Crusher. They were casting for a young woman. Yeah. And then by February fourth, it had been reverted back to <laughs> to, to Wesley. So it was wow. still in flux. And yeah. Beverly Crusher, his mother, the CMO, the chief medical officer, doctor, did not get a page to herself until the last wow. writer's guide in March, wow. like a couple of months before they shot. Wow. So just this whole dynamic being a little fluid. Yeah. Well, in that middle memo, the one from the 12th, um, you know, one of the reasons that uh, Bob says, well, why is this young kid mm-hmm. on the Enterprise? I think he's also touching on something about why are there families and kids on board the Enterprise at all? And I know that we have memos about that. We'll probably get into it was his idea. Way to, yeah, we'll get into way mm-hmm. down the road. But um, 
he's saying this is a long mission so why not have some some fresh blood some you know somebody who can breathe a, a breath of fresh air into this who isn't constrained by the thinking of everybody who's gone through the same academy courses right. over and over again right. I think that that's reasonable, um, but again, it kind of goes back to justifying why you would have families at all on board this ship. Right. Well, it's yes. He was trying to. That's the whole caveat of uh, the this enterprise would be different than the first one. Yeah. In the 21st century, people don't have to make a decision between family and career. They can yeah. bring their families along. The ship can separate in case of battle, but this is not going to be a militaristic show. But underlying all of this, when they talk about the mission, and he's chosen for this mission will be a long one, they still very much had a mindset of the next generation and the Enterprise D being a ship going out for five years and really mm-hmm. being cut off even more than the original Enterprise was. Yeah. And part of the reason for having families along. So you didn't have to put aside five years of your life. So that's what's underlying a lot of this. And, yeah. and But it is funny on his second memo here that Bob is still grappling with justifying this. Well, he's not subject to groupthink. He's young, and yes, he'll rub people the wrong way, but that's going to be valuable at times, yeah. you know, when he's not in the group. But, boy, what what you picked out for the, um, what we had for the opening reading here. <laughs> the ultimate, I don't know, are they getting desperate here? Yeah, so we got, I, I think it's, again, these writers and producers trying to wrap their heads around the idea of having a kid on board. What do we do? What do we do? This was a time where there weren't really heavily nuanced uh, uh, kid characters on TV. And you can tell right. through that seven years of Next Gen, uh, and, and Wesley was only there solidly for four of that, um, they didn't always know what to do with him. And that's when you fall back into that trope of the genius kid saves the ship again week after week. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like TV now, as of the recording, or of this you podcast. go to first date, first kiss. Awkward, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I, like I, one of those. Yeah, two. I feel like TV now, as of the recording of this podcast, uh, it, definitely a generational change uh, since Next Gen mm-hmm. was on the air, and uh, roles written for young people are better, more nuanced, more realistic in many cases, not all, but in many cases than they were at the time. But here's David Gerald trying to wrap his head around, oh, wait, he's a kid and he's a genius. How do we justify the genius kid okay, who okay. does the genius thing every week? Okay, uh, I, I got it. Technology. Got it. How about bionic brain? Okay? Like, but you can just see them all sitting yeah, around. Uh, yeah, and yeah. It's, we're talking about Bob Justman, David Gerald, Dorothy Fontana, people who are not, you know, they're not grappling with Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. the yeah, best yeah. brain Star Trek has to offer exactly, at the time. Exactly. This. Yeah. Uh, no. And... and Maybe the most, the biggest lasting legacy out of the whole Wesley Crusher experiment was look what happened the next time they had a kid in a Star Trek. Mm. Mm-hmm. Jake Sisko yeah. is the most ordinary, right. everyday, lovable, <laughs> right, right, very intelligent. Yeah, you know, but uh, you know, even prone to hanging around with the bad boys. Yeah, you it's know, a on this big station. change. It's yeah, a big, yeah. big change. Yeah. Anyway, these three are such great insights into. Um, into looking at this. And it was a struggle that would not end with the launching of the show. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thanks again, John. Thank you. Love doing it. And uh, what, what a great set of documents. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. For more great podcasts, 
check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at LarryNimichek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.